Hey guys, welcome to Tom Talks. This is going to be a little bit different of an episode. We are going to go through seven different ways that you can make your offer more attractive. So not our usual format here, but in today's climate with the amount of multiple offers and that sort of thing going on, I think it's important that the buyer know how they can best position their offer so as not to pull out all of their hair by the time they get done. Hey guys, my name is Tom Jung. And I'm Jack Lisenby. And we're going to take you through seven different things that you can do to improve your offer and position it to where the seller wants to work with you. The market here is just nuts. In a normal market, we've got six months worth of inventory. Right now, we've got right around one, if not less than one. So if we stopped listing houses today, we'd run out in a month. Um, and you the last house that we listed how many offers did we have on that one it was like 21. yeah so and that was a three hundred twenty-five thousand dollars house every single one of them over asking yeah and so that's kind of the situation that you're coming into and so this is more of just to get you ready for when you do find that house that you really like you know we're going to talk about all of these things of course but you'll be familiar with them it won't all be a shock so you want to kick it off yeah, so uh, the first thing that you're going to see uh, whenever the realtor goes over the contract with you is going to be uh, a block for the money, the most important part, financing. Yes. Um, so obviously the biggest thing you can do to make your offer more attractive is to have a higher number. Um, like the bigger the, the sales price, that's what most people are going right. for. Right, sellers, yeah. Right. How much can I make? Uh, but also just the type of financing is really important as well because you can come in there with a really high FHA offer and it doesn't mean anything because, you know, of the way FHA works. So you have different types of financing. You have your um, cash, which is always king. So if you've just got it like that and can put it all down in green, that's the way to go. Uh, you have conventional financing, which is just uh, banks basically funding and uh, uh, funding the mortgage of your house. You have your FHA, which is a government-backed loan, essentially, and then VA, which is also a government-backed loan, and then there's some small, minor ones that most people will never apply for. 99% of the time, yeah, yeah. you're not going to use. Um, and one of the things uh, to that is the amount that you're putting down mm -hmm. because, you know, used to you didn't want to show your cards with your financing, but now it's like, hey, I want you to know that I'm well-qualified, and so... One of the things that you can do is if you can put more money down, write that in the contract. At the end of the day, you can always put less down. The, you know, the seller doesn't care as long as they get their money. Um, but obviously, it's going to have to match whatever your lender, lender looks at and says. Um, any other uh, uh, financing type things that you can do to improve your chances? I think with for the sake of simplicity no not really okay um so number two is going to be your option and earnest money so whenever you uh, do a contract here in texas the as soon as you both parties sign and it becomes legally binding we call it executed and you're going to have option money and earnest money that you pay so earnest money is typically one percent of the sales price and that's saying hey i'm serious about buying your house i know i'm tearing tying it up for the next a uh, month or so while we go through this process, if you back out because you just decide not to buy the house, they keep the earnest money. That's typically 1% of the purchase price. Now, you can up that amount 
to make it more attractive. Um, to me, it's not as effective as upping your option money. So <clears throat> unlike a lot of other states, uh, Texas, you don't necessarily have a due diligence period to inspect the house and that sort of thing. In Texas, we call it an option period, and it's optional. <laughs> and so in the past, this was usually 100 or 200 bucks for seven days or so. And in this market, the shorter that option period, the more attractive, because it's not until after the option period that, you know, 99% of deals are going to close and, and the sellers can feel good about everything. And so <clears throat> shortening that option period is going to be one thing. And then the other is how much money you put down. I have seen buyers put down $1,000 in option money. And so that's the option money you don't get back. The, that goes directly to the seller. It does count towards your down payment. Uh, if you close on the house, but they know that if you're putting a thousand bucks down and then you're doing an inspection and everything else, you're going to be invested, you know, 1500, two grand into that house already. Mm -hmm. It's unlikely that you're going to back out over something stupid or something little, I should say, not stupid, right. but little. And so anyways, that is a really good way to position yours ahead of other offers. Yeah. And, uh, can't remember if you were saying it, but like shorter option periods are obviously more desirable. Some people forego yes. it entirely, which yeah. isn't advised if you can avoid it, but is a very powerful tool. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we have seen in, in the 21 offer mm -hmm. uh, house that we had the other day, there was a no option period. And if you're not comfortable, don't do it. Um, I would not be comfortable on an older house that has like cast iron sewer pipes, that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, it's all depends on how good you feel about it and what your risk tolerance is. Yeah, another, um, the third thing actually, speaking of risk tolerance, uh, <laughs> the appraisal waiver. Mm. Uh, so what you can do is whenever whenever you go to buy a house, you uh, generally get an appraisal, um, especially if you have any sort of financing that comes along with it, because obviously the people who are backing your financing want something to verify that they're in investment is secure that <laughs> they their don't, money's not going to waste. They don't want to overpay. Right. Down. Right. And so what they're going to do is they're going to get an appraisal and um, they're going to have an appraiser go out there. He's going to look at the house and give an opinion of value based on uh, certain metrics that they use for, you know, appraising the house. Uh, what you can do is whenever that number comes back, you can usually use that as leverage against the seller to be like, hey, it came back at this. Is there any way you can bring in, the price down if it's lower? Or in whatever? normal markets. Right, in a yeah. normal market. But in this market, uh, a lot of people are putting in an appraisal waiver of some sort, a partial or a full waiver. And so basically you can see that number and, basic, and tell the seller, hey, I'm going to waive that. I don't care how, what the difference is. I'll make it up myself. Or you can say, hey uh, – I will waive it up to a certain amount. So if it comes back at like 350 and you would put in an offer for 400, I can put it for 20 grand over appraisal value. So I'm willing to split the difference at 470. Right. And and the thing too, appraisers are looking at the exact same information that we are. They don't they don't have any, you know, secret ninja extra information or anything. And so they're going to be <clears throat> making their evaluation just like we would. So we're going to give you a good idea of what we think, you know, hey, it's going to appraise for this, you know, 99% mm -hmm. sure. And so you're going to have a good idea of what your risk is when you go into that. But, yeah, I mean, if, it's a, if it appraises at 300, your offer's at 315, <clears throat> you can waive the entire thing and you have to come up with the other 15,000 in cash. So mm -hmm. that's a risky thing, but honestly, right now, it, you almost have to do it 
mm-hmm. to win, especially if you're putting an offer on a pretty house. Yeah, if you have the extra cash, it's an easy way to go. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the fourth thing that you can do <clears throat> in the contract is pay for the title policy. So <clears throat> in the past, this has been uh, something that the seller would traditionally pay for if it's a pre-existing house. If it's a new build, the builder always makes you pay for it. But it's insurance <clears throat> It's insurance that basically says that if they find that there was a lien that wasn't paid off, you know, after you close on the house, the insurance is going to take care of it. So it's really protection for the buyer. A lender requires it. If you're cash, you don't have to have one. Um, but paying for that is a big one that will swing it your way because it doesn't affect the appraisal gap. So the sellers know that that's money they're keeping no matter if there's an appraisal issue or not. Now, if, if you got a waiver, doesn't matter, right? But it does look really good on an offer. And typically, the title policy is less than 1%. I think it's like three-fourths of a percent right around there, typically. Yeah, depends on, depends on the crazy. price point, yeah. So. And then after the uh, the title policy, the fifth thing is the survey, and you're going to need a survey if you're if you're buying a house with any sort of financing because again, it's a it's a protective thing for the people who are backing the financing to make sure that you are buying exactly what the contract says you are, uh, no more, no less. And um, the thing it it costs a few hundred bucks, but you can do it. You can pay for it yourself as a buyer, or you can have the seller pay for it. It's one of those very easy things because it's it's more of a hassle than it is a financial issue for people to get right. a survey coordinated if you need a new one and all these other things. A lot of cases, the seller will already have one on file just from their previous uh, transaction of purchasing the house. Right. But if you live in a house 10, 15 years, people lose paperwork all the time. And so it's very likely that you may need to buy a new one yeah. in a case like that. Or if it's no longer legible. I've seen that before. Yeah, especially the really old ones yeah. where they're, they're just bringing up some super photocopied survey so you can elect to pay for it um there's an option basically if the one that work they have works then great nobody has to pay for it but if not you can elect to pay for it or they can pay for it Mm -hmm. and typically like if you're on a quarter acre lot uh like a typical neighborhood you're gonna the survey is typically around 500 bucks now if you're if you're buying acreage it can be substantially more so in that case it becomes a bigger bigger deal the sixth item is a lease back. Now, this is something that, <laughs> you know, we, we, we always had lease backs here and there, but it's become very prevalent in this market just because it's such a hard seller's market. A lease back essentially says, you know, we're going to close on the house, but we're going to give you X amount of time before you have to actually be out. So you're leasing it back to the seller. And... What we've been seeing is a lot of people are just giving a free lease back for however long. Um, even if they don't ask for it, I've seen a lot of people are throwing, hey, here's seven days. Mm-hmm. Just because, you know, you get closed, maybe you're still coordinating on things, whatever. It just It's like a peace of mind thing to have a little extra time. Right. And then also there's a lot of folks that may be buying a new house, not sure when it's going to be done, that sort of thing. And so they may need a month or two lease back. And so being flexible on that is a really good way because you're taking a lot of stress off that seller who's thinking, okay, I got to put stuff in storage. I got to move it once. And then once it cl- my new house closes, I got to, you know, move it all again. And yeah. so that, that relief of stress can go a long way. Yeah. And so typically like with a regular rental or lease, you would have them pay a deposit and then a, a mm-hmm. monthly fee. In this case, it'd be a daily fee, but you're waiving 
well, in a lot of cases, we see people waiving the deposit and the daily fee up until the actual leaseback termination. Correct. And there is a uh, there is a portion of it that says, hey, if you go over this date, then we're going to charge you an astronomical amount. Like right, you know, something yeah, like a get out three hundred dollars a day or yeah. something. Yeah. So, um, anyways, there is a little bit of protection in there yeah. for you. And then our seventh thing is uh, the mineral rights. So whenever yes. you buy real estate, technically you're not buying the house. The house is an improvement. You're buying the land, and the house just comes with it. And any minerals that may be in the mineral rights of that land also convey with the property. Right. Which, and, yeah. they're separate things, right? But it's a weird thing in Texas. Mm-hmm. They, When you sell real estate, the mineral rights automatically convey... Unless otherwise stated, which is, seems odd since they're different things. But. Right. And so what we see happening is a lot of times uh, people will forego the mineral rights or as sellers, they'll request that they get them or retain them during the sale. And so a lot of people, because like you're not going to come in with mining equipment and dig that stuff up yourself. It'd right. be a huge hassle and it's really just not worth the return for a quarter acre lot. Uh, but it's sort of peace of mind for the sellers if you're if you're willing to just throw that in there or just give it to them mm-hmm. because, like I said, you're not going to be making use of it. It's a nice little here. You can have this as well. Yeah, it's like a lottery ticket, right? You yeah. might make some money down the road, maybe somewhere. Yeah, you might make a if somebody's drilling for natural gas. Lease yeah, for... I mean, highly <laughs> unlikely that there's a gold mine sitting underneath the house. Right now, if if you've got a good amount of land, now this becomes a whole different issue. But oh, absolutely. Like I had a. a you know, typical fifth of an acre lot in Arlington. They found natural gas. I signed a lease. I made a thousand bucks, and over the next year, maybe another eight hundred. That's not bad. No, but I mean, that's I mean, that's what you're talking about. Yeah. It's not much. Very special case scenario. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's just a little something you can do. Yeah, those are seven things that you can do to improve your chances at being that top offer. Thanks for watching. Go out there and buy a house.